behind the curtain of Australia's billion-dollar media and entertainment industry. That's entertainment. The personalities. So Lisa has not slept, and neither has Carl. What do we even need producers for? The politics. The Murdoch uh, print media platforms no longer provide anything approaching balance to news reporting. The pressures. I'm not sure that people are aware of the impact it has. Unfiltered unedited and uncut. Oh, I didn't even realise we were starting. <laughs> Buckle in for a hot take on the week's biggest headlines and insider scoops. He spent 37 years with the record label but was fired in June. That's Entertainment with Jake and Viv starts now. Probably one of the best shows ever. Hey Viv, it's our second weekend and uh, we're already running late. Uh, you've just got back from a trip down south. You've been in Victoria, regional Victoria, Geelong, where you had absolutely no internet. Yeah, look, turns out it's not just you up in Queensland that's living in the past. It's also my family in Victoria where I felt like I was assured there was internet. Spoiler alert, there was not internet. And it's very difficult to do a podcast about the media with no internet. So that is my fail and uh, very sorry, but now it's early Monday morning and we're going to get it done. Positive news though, we have had a few more reviews uh, about this podcast on Apple since our first episode. All of them are quite positive, uh, I would say. There was one that caught my attention though, uh, that really just said, look, can you publish twice a week and please not on a Friday. So here we are on a Monday. Very off-brand for us to listen to feedback, Jake, but I will allow it just this one time. Now, this is also your first week of unemployment after finishing up with the Music Network uh, last week. So I'm effectively no longer your boss. We're we're, we're business partners now, I suppose. Uh, I'm not sure if that has anything to do with a six-foot python that I found in my backyard uh, towards the end of last week. Uh, but the world is now your oyster. Uh, are you excited about having some time off? Uh, well, look, I would be, except that our first outing as business partners has involved me having to get up very, very early on a Monday morning to do this podcast, which again is very off-brand for me. So, so far, not loving it. Uh, I would like to still be asleep. And yes, I did send the python there as my vengeance for you making me get up before 9am on a Monday when I'm unemployed. Thank you. Shall we get this podcast uh, up and away? Let's do it. Ahead on That's Entertainment, the future of regional radio as ARN snaps up Australia's largest regional operator. Who will win big at Wednesday's Arias as the awards move from Nine to YouTube? Also ahead, the mysterious case of Lawrence Mooney and why the former Triple M breakfast host from Sydney has hired a lawyer. Plus, in this week's Hot Take, will ARN's podcast to broadcast strategy actually work? Probably the biggest media story last week was around uh, ARN's acquisition of Grant Broadcasters, which gives them a bunch of more stations regionally. Uh, Were you surprised by this? There was a bit of chatter that it was a possibility? I was genuinely surprised. Someone had asked me a few weeks prior if I thought ARN would buy Grant Broadcasters with all of its cash reserves, and I flat out said no, no. So I do have to admit that that one caught me off guard. For a lot of people, though, they were expecting it. ARN did have a lot of cash. It had settled its dispute with the Australian Tax Office. It had divested from some of its non-audio assets. So people were waiting for it to move, and it makes sense that they've purchased 
another audio company because that's what Kieran Davis, the CEO, and that management team have really been focused on. Right. We, we obviously have uh, operate and run a very successful metro operation. We are big believers in 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 the future of radio and, and the future of, of digital audio and radio working together and we've worked very hard over the last few years to establish ourselves as the leading metropolitan network uh, but also in tandem with that and uh, delivering um very strong digital audio solutions. iHeartRadio is really starting to get traction. And I think we've done a very good job commercializing the two and, and bringing new products and services to the market like like Dynamic Audio, which is a product that we brought out and we've just launched uh, um, an audio connections planner. So from a, from a metropolitan perspective, we run a really good um, broadcast radio and digital audio business. Uh, we've long looked at, at what we could do to extend that reach. Um, and Grant Broadcasters has been one of those businesses that we've looked at for a number of years and admired what they do. Um, the opportunity to move into new new markets uh, does obviously extend our audience reach, which is a very important pillar for our business. Um, we also want to expand our digital audio proposition for iHeartRadio and the distribution of content, which moving into regional markets does. Um, you know, dealing with agencies and clients and large brands, they are increasingly looking for ease of transactions and, and dealing sometimes with fewer um, media owners in an effort to try and reduce the workload on them. So, so this certainly helps them book from radio and digital audio on a national perspective. Uh, and also then, as we move into a more digital futuristic um, environment, the addressable IDs and, and the ability for us to pull our own first party data is significantly enhanced by pretty much being able to double our audience to nearly 9 million people in, in a transaction like there were sort of, you know, signs that this was on the horizon, not necessarily a Grant Broadcaster's uh, acquisition by ARN, but here, there and everywhere, its parent company uh, and Kieran Davies, its CEO, have been really liquidating a lot of assets over the past uh, 24 months. So there was plenty of signals to say, hey, something big was coming, right? Yes, plenty of signals. Uh, I just didn't think it would be Grant's that was the one that uh, got all of HT&E's spare cash. It absolutely makes sense, though. They're now going to have 58 stations across 33 markets, as well as 46 DAB Plus stations. They will have to offload 4KQ, their Brisbane-based AM station, due to the media ownership laws. But aside from that, I think overall it's a positive deal. The decision to remove 4KQ from the network is a really interesting one. And uh, from what I've read uh, in the wake of the announcement of this story, it really gives them a golden triangle, with uh, still with Brisbane and obviously Sunshine Coast and also Gold Coast, etc., which uh, I think uh, Alison or Kiron in interviews after referred to the golden triangle. Angle. Do you think the, I mean, 4KQ is also a very strong and heritage brand in the market. Were you surprised by that decision or does it make value, make sense? I think it makes sense, even though it's a very high rating station and it does play the pure gold network style music and they've got a great breakfast team there of Laurel, Gary and Mark. I think 4KQ and some of the people working there did sort of feel like the poor younger sibling of ARN that didn't get a lot of attention they sort of felt like 97.3 in Brisbane got a lot of the attention, a lot of the media time, a lot of the interview space, and perhaps with a new owner, they can really find their feet as an independent station that does well, that is given the love that they crave. When uh, news first broke of this, I started to get text messages almost instantly uh, as word got out, and I'm sure you did as well. The reoccurring theme for me was, hey, look, share price is doing well. Now, 
since then it's sort of dropped and, and bounced around a little bit. So I think there's still plenty of work to do to really educate the market on why this is a, a smart acquisition. And I really think it is one. But also, what does it mean for the future of regional radio uh, now that those really independent and fiercely independent uh, radio stations around the country under the grants umbrella, uh, what it means for them? And will there be redundancies? Will there be more networking of you know, syndicated ARN shows as a result? Is this going to be hit 2.0? I spoke to Kieran Davis and he was very, very clear that they do not want to interfere too much in the programming, uh, the talent or the music at these stations. From a content perspective and a music perspective, you know, they're they're very successful at what they do. They're very popular in the local markets. We're not going to be interfering in that in any way because how, how would I know how to program a Ballarat station or an Arrow station or a Port Lincoln station? The GMs in those markets, Ryan Rathbone, the content director, the, the the other con- the national content director and the other content directors, they have a much better feel for that, and, and that's not our intention to, to look at that. Similarly, you know, the broadcast of live and local content is going to be the mainstay of the, of this business as well. They have also said that they're not sure how many, if any, redundancies there will be. I'm sure they will centralise some functions uh, just from a business perspective but mostly Kieran said they purchased this business because it has a strong foothold in each of its regional markets its audiences love it and the thing they will be focused on changing is what I alluded to before and that's the digital strategy and also driving more of those regional audiences to their iHeart radio platform. 100%, absolutely, and that it is one of the key reasons why, why this transaction made a lot of sense for us. And, you know, we, we've been talking to grants over the years around how we could partner from a digital audio perspective, so we're well aware of, of what they're doing and what they'd like to do and how well our offering, our digital audio offering, our podcast network will, will fit in regional markets. And I think, you know, from their perspective uh, and talking to some of their content people, they're really excited about what we can bring to the table as well. Up next, who will win big at Wednesday's Arias this week as the awards move from Nine to YouTube? Well, this Wednesday, the music industry and fans of Australian music will gather around their computers once again uh, as the annual Music Industry Awards, the ARIA Awards, uh, move to a a digital-only format on YouTube. It was streamed last year as well, and uh, as a result of COVID and ongoing restrictions, in some parts at least, uh, that's the plan again. I think they are doing a highlights package on Nine now. That'll only be around 30 minutes, though, but the full award stream will happen uh, on YouTube. It'll be filmed and uh, recorded live from uh, Taronga Zoo, as I understand it, Viv. Uh, a big night for the music industry, but, Yen, a, another missed opportunity to get everyone in the same room together and have that party that everyone in the biz loves. They had to make a call quite early on, Jake, about what they would do and when they were in the full throes of the planning stages of this event nobody knew what was going to be happening with the COVID situation Sydney in particular which hosts the event was still in lockdown we still had uncertainty we still had rising case numbers so they made the call and then of course the way that these things go is Sydney's now free our numbers are quite low and they probably could have hosted an event it might have just been our Queensland friends who had some trouble getting home afterwards they've they've committed to this show at Taronga Zoo though the artists can go the nominated artists and bring 
a plus one. So I'm sure there still will be some partying, some celebrating. It just won't be the all industry affair that it's known for. This will be the first ARIA Awards under both a new CEO uh, in Annabelle Heard and uh, a new chairperson in terms of Natalie Waller from ABC Music. Uh, Does that mean anything for the ARIA Awards? So far, we know that it means there will no longer be gender-based categories for the artists. So you won't win best female artist or best male artist. You will just win best artist. Annabelle Heard, the CEO, has told me previously that one that helps put women on the same platform as men. To get to equality, you need to just recognise that they're equal and anyone could win it. She also said it gives them more scope to recognise a wider range of artists, including non-binary artists. In 2021, it is absolutely time for men and women to be considered on an equal platform in terms of one of our top awards, Best Artist. And the other thing is, you know, we do not want the ARIA Awards to be exclusionary in any way. And if you have categories that are limited to people who identify as male or female, then you're excluding a whole bunch of amazing artists that are non-binary. And and it was clear that the time of excluding non-binary artists had absolutely passed. There's obviously the risk that the inherent unconscious bias of the industry's voting panel will lead it to reward men more frequently than women. You know, we've done studies before about the uh, Album of the Year Award and just how much that skews to male-fronted acts as opposed to female-fronted acts. Annabelle said, though, that's not a reason not to do it. You know, you have to do it and then educate the market and hope that over time they learn to just recognise the best artists regardless of gender. So on Wednesday, it will be really interesting to see which artist wins and over time in the coming years, statistically, how that plays out. If it doesn't garner the sort of result that uh, many people are hoping on Wednesday night when the winners are announced, what sort of change or shift do you think we'll see uh, in the wake of that? Will they need to really look at who is on that voting board and academy? Absolutely, they need to keep an eye on the makeup of that academy, whether or not it's giving people equal opportunities in terms of their backgrounds and their current status. They'll also probably need to do a bit of education because, as I say, it's not conscious bias that most people are engaging with. They're not sitting down to vote for the Arias thinking, what a great opportunity to be sexist. There's so much ingrained behaviours in society and particularly the music industry where you're just conditioned to think that this artist might be better and you don't necessarily know why you think that. So I'd say they'll be keeping an eye on that panel and then also educating uh, the industry more widely on its, you know, culturally ingrained issues. Annabelle comes from television. She was previously uh, COO, I believe, at uh, Network 10. Uh, The Arias have a long history with television, not all of it good. There's been some incredible (laughs) years and some years that I think we'd all prefer to uh, forget. Uh, Last year's live stream, I thought, uh, under the circumstance, was was really well executed. Is it disappointing that this isn't getting a primetime moment for Australian artists this year at all? I think that comes down more to their partnership with YouTube Music and YouTube wanting to have this virtual experience somewhat exclusively. Annabelle, when she announced it, talked about how it wasn't just going to be sort of a boring stream where you just sit down and tune out on YouTube. I think they want it to be a big deal. They want to push the boundaries of what you can 
do with a virtual streamed event. So again, I think the pressure is on them to really deliver that, to show what they can do with online partners before they revert back to Channel 9 in 2022. Now they might not all be here in the room, but there are celebrations going on all over the place. So a big shout out to everyone at their ARIA parties happening here in Sydney and around the world. We'll cross to them live throughout the night as the awards are announced. So, with that in mind, set your virtual backgrounds, turn off your mute buttons, turn up the volume, and let's get some shiny weapons into those deserving hands. This is the ARIA's 2020 style. Yeah, the proof will be in the pudding because, I mean, the impact uh, of the ARIA awards on the ARIA charts, but also just, you know, the Apple uh, and the Spotify charts after an artist's performance or an artist's award is always incredibly telling. And, and we've seen some really big numbers off the back of ARIA awards in terms of sales previously. So I think the record labels will be watching very closely to see what the impact uh, is in terms of particularly DSPs and playlisting off the back of, uh, off the back of this uh, on Wednesday night. The other thing it has going in its favour is due to border restrictions and, and the planning and that they had to do early on, it is an all Australian lineup of performers. In previous years, sometimes there has been criticism that the awards have been too focused on luring international acts out here and making that the key pillar of the night, you know, this huge international star is going to perform. So tune in and, and watch the best that this country has to offer, but we're not actually showcasing that. This year, it's an all-Australian lineup of performers, and I think that's a good PR move given the push after what our artists have been through in COVID, and it should hopefully then lead to more engagement from music fans with Australian artists. Who do you want to see win an award on Wednesday night? That is a good question. I can't even remember who I voted for when I did the voting. I'm looking at the list of nominations now and I genuinely can't remember. It's such a strong group where it does feel like trying to choose your favourite child, where you feel bad for nominating one over the other. It does feel like there's a lot of momentum behind the Kid Leroy at the moment so I feel like he could definitely walk away with some awards. But honestly, it's been such a bizarre year and the voting panel would have been in such a strange headspace across the country when doing the voting. It will be really interesting to see who actually picks up uh, the gongs off the back of that. My favourite category is always the Breakthrough Artists of the Year because I think that's such an exciting award uh, for their careers. It's it's a stepping stone. Uh, and of course, this year it's been rebranded to recognise the late and great uh, Michael Godinsky. Yeah, that was a move after his uh, untimely passing in March this year where Aria recognised how much he supported emerging and growing artists. So instead of just calling it the Breakthrough Artist Award, they've labelled it with his name, which I think for the winners over the next few years will mean even more because they'll really feel like this award is central to the industry. People will really pay attention and it's got his legacy attached to it. All right, still to come on That's Entertainment, this week's hot take, will ARN's podcast to broadcast strategy work? But up next, the mysterious case of Lawrence Mooney, why the former Triple M Sydney breakfast host has hired a lawyer. All right, let's turn to radio now and the mysterious case of Lawrence Mooney. Uh, we know he has departed Triple M Sydney breakfast. That's not new. We did speculate that it was on the horizon, that it was possibly happening uh, on our first episode of That's Entertainment. That's done and dusted now. What is interesting, though, uh, is that he's hired a lawyer, Viv. 
Yeah, so not only has he hired a lawyer, Jake, he's made it very publicly known that he's hired a lawyer. People across the country engage employment specialists every day. They don't every day issue a media statement via that lawyer, letting the public know that they've done so and what they want. So it's definitely a power move to engage uh, John Laxon from Lax and Lex and then get him to issue a statement about what exactly it is that Lawrence Mooney wants and why he's taken this legal action. It's it's easy to speculate here. Uh, it's also quite easy to read between the lines. Uh, <laughs> but I think it'll be interesting to see how this plays out and whether more will become public because you would suspect that if he is getting a lawyer involved then he's quite comfortable to perhaps talk about the reasons that... Uh, Uh, he is departing the network? Perhaps not the reasons that he's departing. The issue just seems very much to be the contract. He's said via his lawyer, John Laxon, that all he's after is the things that he bargained for and agreed to with SCA in in his contract. It says he will hold SCA to those terms. All my client asks is that SCA honour the contract and observe the contractual arrangements. So he's clearly saying he just wants his final year of payment from SCA because his contract did include 2022, which implies for me that SCA is not willingly handing over that money. And then the question becomes, why not? So this is really about brokering, obviously, a settlement deal, right? Most likely this will settle ahead of time and we won't get to find out the terms of the deal. It will probably also gag Mooney from speaking about what went down because SCA won't want any more negative headlines for its Sydney station if they did let Lawrence Mooney go for something controversial or, as speculated in the press, there was an issue within that team. Again, they don't want that splashing across the papers when they launch their new Sydney breakfast show next year. They'll just want it to go away. When a company wants something to go away, though, it is interesting that they haven't just paid him off already to shut him up before he issues this statement via a lawyer. So again, that's what intrigues me. They would have known this would get headlines. They would know that Lawrence isn't going to go down without a fight. So they've let it get to this point. I wonder which point it has to get to before SCA wants everybody to shut up. There was a piece, uh, I think, in the Sunday Telegraph, by Annette Sharp discussing the sort of turbulence that's going down at Southern Cross Osterio in Sydney with two shows that aren't rating that well uh, and in a little bit of uh, turmoil, I think was the word uh, that Annette used in that piece. Uh, not a great time for SCA uh, in Sydney at the moment. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done. The Today FM Breakfast Show has a 2.9% share and the Triple M Breakfast Show, which was fronted by Lawrence Mooney, has 46 Overall, uh, Today FM has a 3.5 share and Triple M has 5.4. So not only are they both low, their breakfast shows are tracking lower than the station average, which means there's work to be done not just in that early morning slot but for the station as a whole. People do love to pile on SCA Sydney, so it's very unfortunate that they've got two underperforming stations at the moment and one in particular that's grabbing negative headlines in the form of Triple M. There is speculation about Today FM Breakfast as well, but I do think they will do everything they can to avoid having two brand new breakfast shows in Sydney in 2022. All right, up next, this week's hot take, will ARN's podcast-to-broadcast strategy actually work? That's entertainment's hot take. 
The announcement of ARN's acquisition of Grand Broadcasters wasn't the only story from the network last week. It announced something that we have been speculating on for some time, which is that we'll take one of its podcasts and give it a radio show, uh, and that's exactly what it's done, Viv. Yes, the Life Uncut podcast, which is often in the top five in the Australian podcast rankar, uh, with Laura Byrne and Brittany Hockley, will get a Saturday morning show across ARN's KISS network. It's part, as you say, of the podcast to broadcast strategy, which we've been thinking about for some time in terms of where ARN's pipeline will come from. Ironically, we were talking about it because we were saying at the time, ARN doesn't have a regional network of radio stations to source its future metro talent. Now they've got lots of them in the form of the grant broadcaster stations, whether it's Power FM or, or Zinc or Hot, but they're also going to be tapping into their podcast stable across the iHeart Podcast Network, seeing which ones are most popular and then seeing which ones can make the transition to radio because Kieran Davis told me it absolutely won't just be the podcast cut up into short segments for radio. Um, I, I think if we look at the development of podcasts, and it's, you know, it's a very, very uh, burgeoning industry, if you like, still with a lot of unknowns, but what we're clearly seeing, and we've done a lot of work on, on sort of the audience that we have between uh, Kiss, Pure Gold, and increasingly The Edge, we, we certainly see there's an awful lot of crossover of interests of, of, of Kiss listeners and Pure Gold listeners. And what we are doing is creating podcasting content that we know sits well in its own right, but also we know we could use and, and we can promote to our audiences via radio. And there are some who believe that, you know, you cannot broadcast podcast content in, in a radio environment. Well, actually, if, if the content is closely aligned to what we know the interest of the audience is, and if we do it in such a way that is not trying to be a podcast in a radio environment, but actually will forward and, and move people into that podcast podcasting arena within the iHeart app, then that, that makes sense to us. So we'll, you'll see a lot more of that coming through from us as opposed to just the creation of bespoke series of, of, of podcasting six or eight episodes that may or may not be successful. We're not going to go too hard into that just yet. Were you surprised uh, or not that Life Uncut was the first podcast they've chosen to do that with? I wasn't really. I did think it was probably going to be between them and Tony and Ryan, which features two former or current uh, ARN staff in the form of Tony Lodge and Ryan John. They're already very experienced radio broadcasters. So in terms of adapting that podcast to a more broad broadcast uh, in the form of a radio show wouldn't have been too much work. Those two know how radio works and how it differs from podcasts. Life Uncut, though, I think already has such a big platform more widely. Brittany Hockley and Laura Byrne have really strong social media followings off the back of their time on different seasons of The Bachelor. As I say, they're often in the top five in terms of their podcast in the ranker, so I'm sure they'll use that to drive people to their radio show. And it really suits that Saturday morning sports run in the car vibe that I suspect ARN is going for with those two. You know, they do talk about all those life things that go on with young children and with dating and with boyfriends and with wedding planning and all of those things that I just think will lend itself to a Saturday morning show. So it makes sense that they've picked those two first. Guys, we have our very own radio show on KISS FM on a Saturday. It is 
insane. Well, we don't have it yet. Like it's starting next year. We but signed it's gonna, the dotted line. It's, <laughs> they have contracted us. They cannot revoke it now. It so. is too late for them to go back on it. They probably listened to our recording this morning. There are a few F-bombs that I accidentally dropped. Lucky there's a live beeper. Do you see a future for Life Uncut outside of that Saturday morning uh, sports run shift, let's call it? Uh, is it a potential drive show? Is it a potential 3pm pickup? Uh, or do they have, uh, you know, the star power of breakfast, do you think? I think it would definitely lend itself to a 3pm pickup type show. They're just not going to test it out there. Saturday morning is a great testing ground. ARN has sort of referred to it now as the sixth work day with more people on the roads attending sporting events and shopping than ever before. It's still a great testing place though because it doesn't have that pressure of a drive show or the 3pm pickup which has become such a key commercial battleground. They can ease into it, see if it does work as a radio show, see if it does drive people back to the iHeart platform and just see how the ecosystem of ARN's audio world all all interacts. And I don't think this will be the only show that they try out. I think they'll do a few more. And then, I don't know, Hunger Games, the most successful of them, might get a, a radio show at the expense of somebody else. <laughs> Hunger Games in radio? Uh, Never. Let's talk about the 3pm pickup just for a second. Uh, Monty, Yumi Steins, Kate Langbrook's there currently for ARN. That's been a very successful time slot for them. Uh, outside of that, though, they've had the Thinker Girls, SCA has had those two girls, um, and there are plenty of other examples as well, where the concept of having two women together for two or three hours uh, hasn't really worked. It hasn't rated. Why is that, and is now the right time for it? I'm not going to be able to or willing to answer the why is that question because that runs much deeper than my knowledge of radio. That would come back to a lot of bias, I would say, against female voices, a lot of bias against uh, the relationship between women and how it's viewed and stereotyped in terms of what they talk about and how they interact it might not work traditionally on radio. You have cited a few examples there, but they obviously back it because it has worked in the podcasting arena. As I say, these two are often in the top five. So if they can get their podcast audience to follow them to Saturday morning, they're already starting from a really, really strong base. They're not two unknowns. It's not their first audio rodeo. So they're not starting completely from scratch and they do also have a male voice in there. They're going to be working with ARN's late nights presenter Mitch Churi. So perhaps that might help balance out any biases or, or balance the sort of ratio of voices in there. I'm sure ARN is aware of the history of shows that haven't worked, but as you say, the 3pm pickup absolutely does, and that's a female-driven show with female voices focused on female issues. Uh, going back to the podcast to broadcast strategy, do you think we'll see the other networks trial these sorts of moves as well? I mean, when you look at, say, uh, Southern Cross or Stereo and some of the incredible talent it's got uh, within its listener ecosystem, there's some real potential there, including plenty who have been there and done that before on radio. I'm sure it's crossed their minds and it will be something that they will look at when they do need to replace one of their breakfast shows not saying uh which which one i'm sure sca would also be the first to tell you that they're not just creating podcasts in the hope of fostering future radio talent they do want podcasts for podcast sake they do want talent on podcasts just because they are talent on podcasts and they've spent so long investing in their listener platform 
getting audiences to know it and getting original listener podcasts. So not everyone that gets a deal in that arena is necessarily slated for a future radio career. They would be silly not to be watching it though and they're not silly and I'm sure there are people within their podcast stable who could very well end up one day uh, on radio. They'll just have to think of something else to call it other than podcast to broadcast strategy because ARN already took that one. Uh, you know who re-signed with SEA recently, who I would love to hear back on the radio in breakfast, is Matt Tilly. It was interesting that he got uh, so many headlines for re-signing with SCA. That press release was put out uh, with as much fanfare as they would normally put out if they had re-signed Dave Hughes, for example, or Ed Cavalier. It was a big talent contract press release. So they definitely are backing in their podcast talent and not just treating them as a sideshow or a side project. They're very key to the business operation now and I think we'll probably see more of that in the future when listener signed Abby Chatfield who came across from the Nova Entertainment Podcast Network for her It's A Lot podcast. There was a similar press release with headshots, with quotes, as if this was a really, really big deal and so they're not just focusing on their radio talent anymore and their podcasts are are a little experiment. It's very much a core part of their business. Right. Well, I think we'll have to wrap this podcast, speaking of podcasts, for two reasons. One, (laughs) Uh, apparently people don't like listening to us for more than 30 minutes and I think we've just about hit that point. Uh, So says the analytics and uh, two, someone's just arrived to put a smoke alarm. uh, I think that could add some real ambience to our podcast (laughs) and sense of drama, sense of theatre. But if you would like uh, to go and supervise your smoke alarm installation as your business partner, I will allow it. Uh, Now we will be back next week, probably, uh, we're going to aim for Mondays instead of Fridays. I think we, that's what we've agreed, right, as business, as business partners? Look, let's just play it by ear. Even when you were my employer, we couldn't get our podcast out on the correct day and we could never remember what to do or who did it. Uh, and that was 14 months of chaos. So I'm not sure why you believe it will change now, but I appreciate your optimism, Jake. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review this episode on your favourite podcast app. If you have a news tip for next week's show, email us tips at thatsentertainment.com.au.